What's going on there, fuckers? Welcome back to episode 22 of the Cox Talks podcast. Uh, yeah, been a while. Been a, been a minute or two, I guess. Really no longer than usual, but whatever. Feels like it's been a long time. So uh, listen, thanks for listening as always. And thanks as always for supporting the Cox Talks podcast. Um, I'm loving doing these things. I'm getting a lot of great feedback. Um, it's a topic of conversation in a lot of places I go to. So uh, no, I guess I guess we're doing the right thing here. So yeah, uh, typical housekeeping stuff. Listen, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to follow along with the Cox Talks podcast, you can follow um, on Instagram at the Cox Talks podcast. Uh, yeah, follow along there. I, I just kind of put, you know, some updates and whatever um, stuff that's going to be happening. Guests that might be coming up on the show, things like that. So you can follow on, on Instagram at the Cox Talks podcast. And if you want to send feedback, you can always send feedback there too. You can follow along. Also, uh, I do dabble with some of my podcast stuff on Twitter. You can follow me at Trevor Dofsky on Twitter. And, of course, I'm available on Facebook, uh, Trevor Cox. Just search Trevor Cox. I think my profile picture is Doc Holiday, I believe. So, yeah, and as I always say, if you're one of the lucky ones to have my personal contact information, uh, knock yourself out. Send me a text. Send me an email. Uh, wh- whatever works for you. So, listen, um, I'm excited about today's show. Um, a couple weeks ago, couple months ago actually I was asked to go live on location and do a bit of a recording session for a customer appreciation day at a grain elevator here in Ontario so Peter Archer and his wife Donna um, they own and operate with their family uh, amazing acres in the greater Campbellford area here in Ontario just a top-notch top-notch farm top-notch grain elevator top-notch people can't say enough about them so uh, yeah, Peter. Peter put me on the list of uh, entertainment that day. I guess we'll call it. Really scraping the bottle of the barrel there. But anyways, I went live, and um, so their customer appreciation day. What they do is they actually call it Pie Day. Yes, that's right, P I E Pie Day. And uh, what we what they do is um, you know they have everybody out to the farm, and they have a big uh, a big. Uh, they have presentations, I guess. They had some guys come and talk about grain markets. They had a young fellow talk about um, a dramatic accident he had uh, where he lost his arms. And then they serve you a hot lunch. And this is the real hit of the day. So they serve you a hot lunch. So I believe they had brisket and pork that day that I was there. But the hit of the day is the amount of pie and dessert that the lovely, beautiful, smart, charming cunning i can't say enough donna she makes all these pies herself from scratch i'm sure too and i'm telling you what there was a table of like 40 or 50 pies and a few cheesecakes mixed in there and for a fat prick like me with a sweet tooth that is bordering on the line of being diabetic i was in all my glory um every kind of pie you can think of i had a a raspberry pie I had like a pecan cream pie I had a blueberry pie yeah I had three pies and then uh well we'll get into it a little bit later um she's famous for her turtle pie so it's a pie that she makes it tastes like turtles and uh yeah I actually I tried it out and I gave a live review 
on the turtle pie. So anyways, these guys, they've been doing this for about 14, 15 years, uh, once a year at their farm. It's been shut down the last couple of years due to COVID, but I believe last year they did a drive through pie day, which was, which was awesome. But, uh, you know what, just top notch people. And, um, they had me up and they had me speak just a little bit on podcasting. I, uh, touched base with Peter, the owner on just some, uh, we covered a few myths. So for a lot of you listeners out there that don't really understand how farmers, how farmers go about selling their grain, selling their crop, so to speak to grain elevators. We touched on that a little bit. We touched a little bit on, um, you know, when you see a loaf of bread in the grocery store and it goes from, I don't know, three bucks to four fifty, and everybody starts blaming the farmers. Uh, we touched on that a little bit and kind of crushed that myth. And we touched on what the media is calling, you know, a potential food shortage because of the conflict in Ukraine and, and things like that. We touched on that. And of course, uh, so Peter also has his own beer. He he has a beer recipe that he sends to a local brewery and they brew it up and he buys it by the skid load. So I tried out his beer and I did a review, uh, a beer profile. So the beer profile is back. And of course, I tried the turtle pie. Um, it's just a great day all along. We're in his, in his big shot, giant shop. And you know what the best thing was? This was the first real... Um, live event that I have been to as a farmer since the beginning of COVID, uh, no masks, nothing going on. Nobody seemed, you know, I think I might've saw one or two masks in the crowd. I'm not hundred percent sure on that actually, but you know what? It was nice to get out and socialize with people again, no masks, have a visit. I met a lot of people that I, that I'd never met before. Um, Peter and myself are quite active on Twitter, but Peter and I had never actually formally met until the other day. Having said that, we converse on a daily basis on Twitter, so I feel like I'd known him for 30 years. Um, but um, yeah, so it was interesting. There's a lot of there are a lot of people like that there, and uh, you know what? It was it was just a nice change of pace after a long winter and all the stuff we've been through uh, with COVID, so on and so forth. It was nice to get out and see people talk, interact, see people smiling, and just have a good time. So um, this is going to be a bit of a longer episode too. So so a little bit more of what's going on. Um, I mentioned earlier that I there was a fellow there that spoke that lost his, his arms. He actually sat down with me at the end of the day, and uh, I interviewed him, of course, for the podcast. So th- that is going to be on this show as well. I've got a little bit of a vent uh, session that I want something I want to get off my chest and uh, I got a little bit of an announcement too so um, yeah I, I think it's going to be a good show I'm excited for it I will give you the heads up um, the audio so when I did the live podcast at Peter's um, I will I mean I wasn't quite prepared that's on me a little bit so the auto the audio isn't the greatest but I do think it's uh, audible if that does that make sense? Is that the word I'm looking for? I think you can completely understand it. Uh, you know, there's no distortion or thing like that. It's just a little echoey. So, so my apologies for that. That's on me. Um, maybe next time I go live on location with the Cox Talks podcast, I will be better prepared. But, anyways, uh, I don't want to keep you too long. Let's get into um, Amazing Pie Day with Peter Archer. I got to know Trevor from uh, Twitter, never met him before today, um, but uh, anyways, I've known him for quite a few years and consider him a good friend, and uh, I, uh, yeah, 
I have, Donna says I have a lot of questionable friends, so there is that, so. Anyhow, um, yeah, so we're just gonna have a conversation here um, uh, with, uh, with Trevor and just talk about some of the stuff that went on today and uh, some stuff that's going on with green marketing and um, one, of the, one of the things, so he, he started, um, he went to school to be a radio broadcaster, I guess is what he went and did. And then he ended up getting sidetracked and kept farming and uh, did some farming out in Alberta when he was out there for seven or eight years and come home to milk cows. But uh, anyway, so he still had this interest in, in uh, broadcasting. So he thought, well, maybe I should start up a podcast. So he's, he's done about 20 podcasts started when a year ago or a year and a half ago, maybe? Uh, not, not, quite. not quite a year yet. Uh, it'll be a year in July. Um, so it's called the Cox Talks Podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, Pretty much anywhere you can stream media, it's available. Um, there's 21 episodes out there. I do not pigeonhole myself to one topic. Uh, that gets pretty redundant, in my opinion. And uh, it's, it's tough to maintain listeners when you have that. So, I mean, I touch on everything from um, my favorite movie, Bad Guys, um, to, uh, I don't even know. Uh, there's so many, I've done so many, I just, I kind of can't keep track of them, but uh, yeah, I, as Pete said, I went to school for radio and television broadcasting, and in my third year, I had to do an internship at a radio station, and I was, uh, I spent some time talking to some people that had, you know, they were going on eight, ten years in the industry, and uh, they were making not a lot of money. Not that there's a lot of money to be made in farming, depending on who you talk to, but if I worked an hourly wage at a large dairy farm or a large cash crop farm, I could make as much in a summer as they were making in a year. So I kind of decided, hey, maybe, far or, uh, maybe farming isn't really that bad. Um, if you do happen to tune into the podcast, I will warn you, it is vulgar, it is opinionated, there's no filter, your ears will bleed at some point, that's almost a promise. But uh, you should at least get a couple, one or two laughs per episode, if, if you ask me. So, anyways, first of all, I want to thank uh, Pete and Donna for inviting me. I've never done anything like this in front of a live crowd before. Um, I have done some public speaking, but I've never tried to record a podcast live. So this should be interesting. So thanks very much for having me. Um, so first thing I want to talk to you about, Pete, is we're all farmers in this room there's a lot of young farmers in here, so we know everything, okay, in this room. It's, we know everything. But to my average listener on the podcast, they don't really understand. They don't know how a farmer goes about selling his grain to a grain elevator and then what you do with it from there. Now, keep in mind, you just had the floor for like an hour and a half, so Cole's notes. Right. Yeah, so the grain into industry is very different than any other industry when it comes to marketing stuff and it really comes back to the fact that we have this big supply that we get all at one time of the year we get it over a few weeks but we have lots of users in the industry that use the exact same amount every day you're one of them you feed your cows the exact same amount of corn pretty much every day of the year and so you get this big supply, 
and, and it's expensive inventory for somebody to own. So a lot of end users don't want to own this stuff. They don't want to have it priced. Um, it's a lot of price risk on this stuff. So what we do in the, in the grain business is we are constantly trying to, to get rid of price risk. And so, and, and we, have, we have these growers that are price sensitive, that they want to sell the high prices. We have ethanol people in the room here that want to buy low priced commodities, buy corn when it's cheap. So the, the, those two are juxtaposed to each other. And so that's why we kind of get this label as a middleman in the elevator business. And oh, those guys are just trying to buy this, to buy my corn low, and now that it's high, they'll try to sell it to the, to the, to the ethanol plant. Well, it's actually completely the opposite. We provide a service and, and why we're still here um, and, and why we see the elevator business in Ontario really seems to be flourishing. There's, uh, flourishing. There's, a, there's a bunch of elevator people from across Ontario in the room here and that are running great businesses because they're providing service. And, and that service is, is to, when grain gets really cheap and you guys don't want to sell it, we make that grain move so that there's a supply there for them. Um, and that we do that by, by selling physical and buying futures back cheap in Chicago. And sometimes it's in that order. Sometimes it's we, we buy your expensive corn that you're gonna deliver to us this harvest. It's very expensive right now. You can sell us that. We find somebody that wants to, that wants to buy corn in Chicago. We sell it to Chicago and then, um, then we're hedged on that. We have no price risk. We, we own the difference between, uh, so we're, we're trying to, what I'm telling you is we're trying to, to, to buy this stuff um, high and sell it low, which of course that's not really the whole story. The whole story is that we, when we buy cash and sell futures, then we own the difference between the cash and the futures basis. So we're basis traders. We try to buy low basis, um, the basis tends to get cheaper ahead of time. It tends to get cheaper when the grain prices are really high. And then we try to sell more expensive basis when we, after we've stored it for a while and, and held it off the market until the end user needed it later on, maybe even the next summer. Perfect. So the next question I have for you, and uh, again, keep in mind, Folks here in the audience, again, I'll, I'll, I'll just state, this is more for my listeners for when I, when I release this episode as it is for you guys, but everybody in here, we all have friends that live in the city, and they're absolutely clueless about farm life, and that's okay, I can say that, it's my show, I'm going to take the heat, but I'm also clueless about city life, so I have a lot of friends come to me and... Um, they say, oh, well, corn is at such and such a price and wheat is at such and such a price and soybean, you guys are waking, making way too much money. You're all just a bunch of rich farmers and blah, blah, blah. And you try to explain to them the price of, income, uh, the price of inputs, the price of labor, the price of machinery, and they just don't get it. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah, the uh, agricultural business is a very capital-intense uh, business. It just... Uh, it just takes a lot of money. Um, it, again, it's a very seasonal business, and so we have a lot of money tied up in, in equipment, uh, 
for lot that we don't use very often. Some of the stuff we use it for like a week and then we park it away and and yeah, there's a ton of money tied up that. So there's a lot of a lot of overhead uh, in this business to yeah, just to, to, to get the work done. Now the next thing, of course, and we mentioned, um, I'm a, I, we milk cows for a living, our, our family, so um, I'm sure some of you in here are like, oh, dairy cartel, license to print money. And, uh, so when the price of milk goes up on the shelf, who gets to blame? Oh, the dairy farmers, you're making too much money. Uh, when a loaf of bread goes from $2 to $5, grain farmers get the blame. Can you explain to the listeners out there that grain farmers, much like dairy farmers, we don't set the price of on-store, or pardon me, on-shelf food. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, the, the, the cost of grain in, in any grain products uh, that are on the shelf is a very, very small amount. And, uh, you know, maybe six to 10 cents in a lot of products of, of grain. It's, it's, it's a very small amount of what that product is. Um, the what uh, what ha is driving that food inflation is a energy is a big part of that. It, it's taking a lot of energy to to do the processing of that food to move that food around the country. Lots of trucks are involved in in moving both raw grains and finished grains, and yeah, it just takes a, a whole lot of money to do that. The, the cost of everything, printing the boxes, everything that we try to do and move is costing more these days and that's what's in, uh, inflating the price of food. The, the price of the raw grains in it has very little to do with, with what the cost of the product is. Thank you. So, and, and finally, and then we're going to get into a little bit of fun here. Um, mainstream media, social media, it's an absolute cesspool of false information these days. And one of the things going on right now that I've noticed on mainstream media or social media is um, with the conflict in Ukraine, there seems to be a sense of uh, hysteria, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the fear-mongering, I guess, as far as, and you mentioned it in one of your slides, Ukraine, uh, it exports 30% of the world's wheat. So there's a scare going on within the media about there's going to be massive food shortages, food shortages, food shortages. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah, well, it's uh, th that seems to be played along a lot that there's this big shortage of wheat in the world, and and yet out the uh, the Gulf of St. Lawrence here we have currently have no export bid for wheat. So um, I guess I'm having a tough time buying into the fact that there's no wheat in the world. If nobody's looking for it either, then it really it really isn't a problem, is the way I'm seeing it at the moment. And uh, that's um, yeah, time will tell. And I think. There's no shortage of wheat in the world. There's lots of wheat in the world. And now, what we're really seeing is is the potential. If they can't plant, if they can't harvest, those are all unknowns. And that's putting risk premium in the market. Uh, there's no shortage of wheat. We ain't going to run out of wheat this year. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. So, on my podcast, I started this thing, and I, I called it Beer Profiling. And what I do is I take a beer, and uh, rather than give you a review on the taste of the beer itself, I give you kind of a review as to what type of person uh, drinks a certain type of beer. So for instance, if you drink Molson Canadian, you smoke a lot of cigarettes and you like to build decks on the weekends. That's what you do. 
If you drink Carly, for instance, there's a very strong chance you work in a tire shop or a welding shop. You've may, maybe, maybe not, and there's nothing funny about this, but you may or may not have had a, a, a DUI charge at some time through your life. Keep in mind, again, this is my show, it's my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, that's okay, we can still be friends. So Pete gave me uh, one of your beers here. Um, you, I guess you did kind of describe it earlier. You gave me the ingredients and the hoppiness and the, all that stuff. So I grabbed one and I've been drinking it slowly. Um, admittedly, I'm not much of a beer drinker unless it's Bud Light. Um, I'm more of a vodka guy myself, should have been a potato farmer. Um, but I've been drinking this and um, I gotta say, I'm about halfway, three quarters through the can and I feel like I should be in San Francisco in the 70s. Um, I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very San Francisco hippie with a hint of, uh, a hint of draft dodger in it. And I, do we have any draft dodgers in there? Probably not, no. But I feel like, you know, I should be wearing a pair of uh, jean capris, okay? Maybe some Birkenstocks. Should have a t-shirt with like a, and I said my podcast is vulgar, but a t-shirt with like a big fucking kangaroo or something on the front of it. Some tie-dye, yeah, sure, tie-dye, yeah. Definitely should have a ponytail when I'm drinking this beer. 100% on the ponytail. Could, could probably mix in a thumb ring too. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna make a career out of drinking this beer, I should probably be wearing a thumb ring. But it's pretty good. It's just that's, I feel like that's what I should look like if I'm drinking this beer. And as far as what I should be driving, oh, I gotta touch on one other thing. Everybody's seen these guys too. They're, they're pretty prevalent in the college world. You know, you go to a house party, the party's kind of dying down. There's a couple single ladies sitting around, a bunch of guys. There's always a guy that pulls out the acoustic guitar and he's gonna strum some Bob Dylan, right? And he's gonna try and lure these ladies in with his acoustic guitar, singing Bob Dylan. St maybe Stairway to Heaven. I feel like that's too hardcore. Like I'm talking more like folksy, right? Like more folksy for sure. And as far as what this guy drives, it's a windowless van, and on the side is a picture of like um, a lady in a loincloth, and she's like shooting a rocket at the planets in space, and in the bottom corner there's a wolf, and he's howling at the moon, and just, just out there, man. So that's, that's, that's my review on the Amazing Acres uh, beer, for sure. It's, hey, I could drink a couple of these though. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, it's, it's good stuff for sure. So I believe you also have a slice of pie so I can give a pie review. I can do a pie review. If you, you, so Pete's gonna get me set up here. Um, another uh, segment I had on my podcast and I took in uh, input from all across Canada on this actually and um, I would sample donuts and I would give my review. I'd like to consider myself a donut aficionado. 
Luckily, I was blessed with good genes. I should, for what I eat, I should weigh about 372 pounds. Um, big Boston cream fan. And of all the donuts that I, that I sampled, I have to say that um, the undisputed champ was uh, the Kawartha Bakery in Lindsay. And I've actually gone back several times. But uh, so this is Donna's, this is your, this is the turtle pie that you spoke about. We'll give this a go here. Mm. So, not supposed to talk with your mouth full, but you, you made this yourself. And I, I'm not going to ask you your recipe because asking women their recipes is like asking them how old they are, how much they weigh, because they get offended. But I have two questions. This is good. Two questions. How are you not 375 pounds? <laughs> Donna, will you marry me? <laughs> That's how good. Like, if you want to, no, ditch the zero and get with the hero, <laughs> I'm 100% I'm game. I'm game. So. Um, that, that's going to wrap it up for me. Uh, once again, Pete and Donna, thank you very much. I appreciate this. Um, this experiment, I, I mentioned to you, this is an experiment. We'll see how it goes. This episode will be um, produced April, uh, April 11th, I believe. But yeah, search me. Um, you can, like I said, it's called the Cox Talks Podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever. Uh, for those social media people out there, you can follow along on Instagram at the Cox Talks Podcast. That's C O X T O X. And yeah, listen to it. Don't listen to it. I don't care. Um, I don't make any money doing this. It's all for good fun. And yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, so that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I uh, had, a, had a lot of fun doing that. Hope you hope the listeners out there enjoy that. Once again, I want to listen. I want to thank Peter and Donna for having me out to that. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, can't say enough good things about Pete and his lovely, beautiful wife, Donna, who, as you heard, I proposed to. And for the record, this is um, approximately two weeks later. And she hasn't given me an answer yet. She never said yes, but she hasn't said no either so uh you know maybe maybe she's giving it some thought so <laughs> but uh anyways no i I, ho- I hope you listeners enjoyed that that was fun for me it was uh nice to be included for something like that and uh yeah it was awesome it was a lot of fun and hope we can do it again so as i said um earlier in peter's day a guy by the name of eli crothers he spoke about a uh, a pretty dramatic accident he had where he lost his arms in a power line accident and just a top-notch guy after sitting down and talking with this guy and meeting him and seeing how he carries himself and how he's going about life now uh nothing nothing but mad mad respect for Eli so he was good enough to sit down with me at the end of the day and uh talk to me about his story so um for the first time ever I guess two episodes in one show let's bring in Eli Crothers Okay, so here on the Cox Talks podcast, uh, we are still live at the Amazing Acres Pie Day, and earlier in the day, a young fellow by the name of Eli Crothers, he spoke, um, talking about a, a, I'm going to call it dramatic, I don't know what, what, how else to put it, Um, a dramatic accident he had while working uh, power line work, 
So uh, here we are with me, Eli. Eli, introduce yourself. Give us uh, your name, where you're from, so on and so forth, and we'll start there. Uh, my name's Eli Crothers. I'm from Campbellford, Ontario. Um, born and raised. Um, grew up on uh, a, a small hobby farm. Um, once I got into high school, started working for a dairy farmer. Uh, worked for him for three, four years until the end of school. Um, got into a power line program at Conestoga and ended up uh, getting a job with Hydro and then uh, kind of the accident rolled on, basically. Right on. So your accident, um, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to take up too much of your time here. So so you got a job as a power line worker and um, I guess we could go ahead and say that you had the accident that every power line worker fears, so to speak. Big so time. Why don't Big you Why don't you walk us through kind of what happened? I guess. Um, so yeah, it was uh, October twenty third of twenty seventeen. Um, just kind of a kind of a typical day. Um, well, I guess one thing that kind of that stands out to me. I'm a big tragically hip fan, so that was just. Uh, I think the passing of Gord Downey was maybe a week or so before that, something like that. And one thing that just kind of random thing that sticks out. But, uh, yeah, we were just uh, changing poles um, on the highway, Highway 17, just uh, north of Kekabeka Falls, which is just outside of Thunder Bay. I'm sure not too many people know where, where Kekabeka Falls is. But, uh, yeah, we were, we were working in the ditch. Um, we were changing poles. We had off-road equipment. Uh, everything was on track sort of thing. Had an excavator with us. Kind of, in my opinion, the ideal uh, setup for alignment, like all the cool tools. Like we were, when, when people drove by, they, they would look and be like, oh, yeah, those guys are having fun. They've got all the rigs out sort of thing. So um, that, was, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the north in the first place is, a lot more stuff's off-road, a lot more helicopter work, that kind of stuff. So, in my opinion, the bread and butter for uh, for alignment. Um, so, yeah, we, we made her up there, um, changing poles alongside the highway. We had got the pole set um, in the morning, um, got, her, got it all backfilled, uh, put the, the center wire, we hooked that into the pole just to kind of keep things sturdy sort of thing, um, shut her down for lunch. Um, I had made a phone call to the local dealership in Thunder Bay, put a $250 deposit on, on a nice red GMC pickup truck. Um, and then, yeah, we finished our lunch, um, went back up in the air, started working away. I, for whatever reason, didn't think I needed my rubber gloves on at the time. I was, uh, I guess you could say I was a very impressionable person at that point. So you look up to all the older linemen in the company, kind of what they're doing and all, they don't need the gloves. So I probably don't need the gloves sort of thing. So that's, I guess, kind of where I was coming from at the time and thought we were good to go. And at the same time, we didn't have uh, enough people on our crew to be doing the job that we were doing. So there were some other gaps uh, in safety, if you want to call it that. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to put my bracket into the pole. Um, I put my bolts through the pole. Uh, my partner was going to put his bracket on the other side, put the bolts on. Uh, he wasn't, things weren't just working right for him. I don't know if he didn't have his, his, the nuts ready to put on the bolt or whatever. I was kind of more paying attention to my side, but, um, wasn't ready. Not, 
not saying that it's his fault by any means, but uh, yeah, I had to kind of reposition. So I pulled my bracket away from the pole, and at that point, it made contact with a live phase, um, a, a live power line, I guess. Um, and that tracked through my arms, um, across my chest, and then out my, I guess, my abdomen on the left-hand side. Um, so, yeah, I, that was, I guess, when the, when the contact happened. I, all I remember was just a, a big flash of light. Um, my whole body just clenched up. Um, just, yeah, like, just like, like getting hit by an electric fence. It gives you that smack sort of thing. A really thing. strong electric fence. A, re- a very strong electric fence, exactly. And uh, and kind of goes on a little bit longer than uh, than an electric fence would. But yeah, a big, a big shock to the system. And then the power shut off. Um, and I more or less just fell to the bottom of the bucket um, in like a like a puddle of of bones sort of thing and I remember but I I never lost consciousness I remember hearing like immediately hearing my partner yelling Eli Eli and everybody on the ground yelling at me and I was just kind of folded up in the bottom couldn't move whatever and kind of taking stock of what went on and by that point they had already taken over the lower controls on the bucket and pulled me away from um, from the area uh, from the danger I guess and then got me to the ground, I was about halfway to the ground, still in the bucket, and I was able to gain some motor function. I was able to stand up again. My arms were still, basically, from the shoulders down, my arms were kind of clenched, and there was really nothing that I could do um, to move them at all. They were just kind of, like, my muscles were tense, um, fully contracted, I guess. Um, so, yeah, they got me out of the bucket, um, got me into the to the ditch, kind of on the roadside waiting for uh, volunteer firefighters who actually showed up first. Um, and I remember looking at a buddy of mine, Devin, to the left of me, uh, and I said, I just fucking blew my hands off. Like, I I was was with it enough that, like, I knew at the very least there <laughs> I, I, had, I had some serious shit going on sort of thing, and they were, they were so, so good with me, like, they were so calm and I, I look back at it now and like he Devin was to my left um, I had a big hole in my side my clothing my my uh, um, not my high vis my fire uh, retardant clothing was still kind of smoldering there was a smell of like burnt flesh. I, I actually that's was something I wanted to ask you like now you said you when it initially happened and you collapsed in the bucket, like you lost motor skills and stuff, but I mean, obviously you're still going to have your senses, whether you had blurred vision or not or whatever. But I, I, when I saw you spoke earlier today and this is maybe morbid, but I'm a bit of a fucking morbid guy. My thought was like, what the fuck would that smell like? It's, it's pretty gruesome. And not to mention just the, the, the clothing itself doesn't smell great when it's burning i guess not. but then no. you add some some flash and some muscle into there and it's not a i wouldn't say it's a smell that i like i i've never smelt anything since then that really like kind of triggered me and it was like right. oh that's that's that i remember that there's there's never been anything like that but i do remember it was uh yeah there was definitely an odor for sure um, and like is that something that lingers with you or like you said well you just said you've never smelled anything like that again and hopefully you never do yeah but is it like is that something that you know 
I, and I don't want to use the term PTSD because yep. I don't know enough about that stuff to throw that term around loosely. But is that something that's kind of a recurring thing for you is the smell? Um, I think the only thing that I can really think of, uh, that comes to mind where I got any sort of PTSD was I was still in the ICU in the hospital in Sunnybrook and the bed that they had me in, it was like an air bed. So it would blow cool air and the sound of the compressor when it would turn on that I remember being like, wow, that sounds just like the set like the electricity like when it's yeah. when it's tracking like the the sound from my accident that was right that was the only time and i remember i kind of dealt with it for a while and then i eventually one of the nurses came in i was like you you need to change this bed like i can't that sound is yeah it, it's messing with me but that's been the only time that i've experienced anything i think remotely close to ptsd or that sort i do occasionally if i get thinking about it yeah it, uh, I, I get a little bit stressed out about it, but I don't have anything to the point where I have to medicate or I have to really go and yeah, like, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. I've, sure. I, yeah. I've been I've been very fortunate in that aspect that uh, for whatever reason, yeah, I don't know. So, sometimes I wonder if uh, if it's to do with uh, with some of the connections in the old brain, maybe not connecting just the right way. I yeah, don't know, but uh, yeah. I think I think a big part of it is just. I was able to come back home and, and just kind of continue on business as usual. Yeah, for sure. So now you say, so you're north of Thunder Bay, so you're for, I mean, people aren't as good at geography as they should be, in my opinion, but you're essentially in the middle of fucking nowhere. And when you spoke earlier, you mentioned that, um, and I'm not exactly, I can't quite remember how it happened, but you actually ended up in Winnipeg Hospital before you got back to Toronto and that was due to the available helicopters or beds, or how did that break down again? That, that was all to do with the weather. So when uh, when they picked me up, so the, the ambulance was supposed to come pick me up. We were like a mile down the road from the ambulance depot, but of course it was south end of Thunder Bay, like hours away. So they brought the helicopter in, landed right on, right on the highway, um, and then took me to the Thunder Bay Hospital just for the initial assessment, and they wanted to send me to Sunnybrook. That would have been the normal uh, protocol, I guess. But the weather was too bad, so they had to send me to Winnipeg because that was the closest trauma center. Ah, okay. So we went to Winnipeg. Um, I think I was there for, I'm not sure, maybe three days, four days, uh, long enough that my parents, or at least my mom, flew out to Winnipeg um to be with me for a bit and then uh yeah the, i think the weather broke within a couple of days and they sent me to sunnybrook <clears throat> and then that's when uh when all like the amputations and the serious surgeries went down was at sunnybrook right so and i did again i uh and for the listeners out there i've already heard eli speak but you listeners you didn't so you mentioned that when they started the amputations now did you have were your hands, did you still have your hands at this point? Yeah, so because of the way uh, electrical shocks work, they burn from the inside out. So I remember I was sitting on the side of the road and they're like the, the volunteer firefighters are there at this point and they're, they're cutting into my clothing to see what's what. And I remember looking down, they, they never took my gloves off, but they started to cut like up towards my sleeves. And I remember looking at my arms and maybe from the wrist, Around the wrist area, I could see a little bit of like discoloration that didn't look great. But then from the wrist up, everything looked fine. 
everything looked completely normal. Right, because from the inside out. Because so then, yeah. So, um, yeah, we that was one of the things, I guess, once I got to Winnipeg, um, they put, like, this cooling gel into my arms, and that officially, I guess, stopped the the burning per se um but yeah when i like when i was on the ground and and i i had never i never ever like really got a look at my side to know exactly like i knew there was i could see the the frayed clothing and i could tell there was an exit wound but even at that point i didn't really know the full extent of everything so it didn't even when i was in the in getting assessed in thunder bay there was never there was never a time where i thought shit this is this is it like i'm i'm gonna die here there was never ever that and it's 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 strange that thought never crossed my mind they they handed me the phone to talk to my parents and i i learned after that they more or less told my parents that it's not it's not looking great at all i was was probably supposed to be dead and a i didn't pick that up from them when i was talking to them they i wouldn't have been able to tell they were so calm on the phone right it was i remember vividly how calm they were um mom was on the phone and dad was in the background kind of <coughs> hollering through the phone just saying i love you and whatever and i wouldn't even call it like an emotional conversation it was just i it was like hey mom i'm i'm gonna be okay like i've been in yeah. a bit of an accident but I'm, I'm gonna be okay i'm gonna be fine i for whatever reason i i guess i contribute that to my my childhood to my my background your upbringing yeah but that's that's the only that's the only thing i can think of it it really doesn't make sense other than that when uh when i started coming around they had a ton of like psychiatrists and all these people coming in and talking to me and this that and the other and they were more or less just waiting for me to all of a sudden one day just flip a switch and just blow up and completely lose it and i don't know why but i i never did I never, I never had that moment. Even, even when I started to wake up, like I started to come out of the, the, the coma, there was never a time where like I, I, it was always just, okay, here's what, here's what's going on and here's where we have to get. So we've got work to do. Right. So, so they, they had put you in an induced a coma. Um, but so, so you're telling me here that all the hospital staff, whatever they, like you said, they expected it any minute for you to just, that was it, right? Now, were you aware that they thought this and you were just kind of giving them a big fuck you, I'm going to show you guys? Or were you totally oblivious to them having those thoughts? I, I would say that's the best way to put it. Um, I was completely oblivious. I had, I had no idea. Like after um, talking to like my family, my mom, my girlfriend, like they're – it was it was touch and go a couple different times. Like I, they said the uh, the head surgeon came out after one of the surgeries, talked to mom, my mom and dad, and he made the comment. He said, "He said, mom, look at me. He said, if I'm worried, then you should be worried. Right. Currently, I'm not worried, so you shouldn't be worried." Like yeah. they were, they were phenomenal the way they treated everybody, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I never once. I mean, by the time I woke up. I was already out of the woods at that point. All the serious, the touch and go moments were while you were in a coma. I was, I, I was see. completely out for that. So I think, uh, <clears throat> I know at one point, um, my, my bowels quit working. Mm-hmm. So they got to the point where they were basically just giving me the absolute bare minimum, like the, um, like the saline solution, kind of the bare yep. minimum just to keep me going. Yep. So they could, basically they said they did a reset. 
on my bowels and that was kind of like a this is going to work or it's not going to work right and it did so yeah i uh <clears throat> i just was extremely fortunate um for whatever reason that i had this crazy crazy accident and currently at 28 years old i'm not dealing with a ton of side effects realistically i've got yeah i've got i've got prosthetics on and they're they're a <laughs> yeah. fucking pain in my ass every day but yeah like everybody else deals with a lot of shit that's a pain in their ass every day too it's yeah these are just the these are just the things that i have to deal with now on a daily basis and it is what it is so to give a little bit of um i guess for them for the listeners out there to picture it so you've lost your arms from where down um so they're both uh, above the elbow um, the first amputation they did was, I think just above the wrist. <clears throat> so they did that amputation and then they wait, I'm not sure, a day or two just to see what the tissue looks like. Wasn't good enough. So they had to go in, I think there was two surgeries. So the second one, they went above the elbow and then they found good tissue. So they stopped there and closed things up. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, but just somehow very fortunate. Well, I mean, it's- Props to you. I mean, and and I also heard you say too that um, because of the the climate of the day you were working, you were sweating a lot, and you did say that um, I don't know whether the doctors told you this too or not, but because you were sweating so much, actually might have been what saved you because the some of the electricity went out through your with your sweat. Right. Big time. So electricity always takes the easiest path. So anything that's wet, any moisture attracts electricity like crazy. So that's between that and the fact that I was whatever, 235, 240 pounds drinking a couple pints every night sort of thing that yeah. <laughs> strange, strangely <laughs> enough, my yeah. mother probably wouldn't appreciate that, but that also, <laughs> that also was a factor. Like I, I didn't have any internal damage. It was all just skin and muscle that burnt. Right. Um, but no, that was a big thing. I think, I guess doctors never told me that, but I've talked to enough linemen um, who have had situations like that, who have been in accidents. And that's actually quite common is that they say, because you were sweating, a lot of the electricity tracked on the outside of my body. Um, and that was a big factor, a big reason why I didn't have any internal right. damage. That's like that, fucking wild. when you think about it, the electricity went through both of my arms. So if it went through my right arm to go out my left side, it had to go across my chest or somewhere close. Yeah. So how that it doesn't didn't blow aff- your heart up or something, how that doesn't affect my heart to be honest or your you, lungs that like anything. It's, I'm not, wild. I'm not a, I'm not a, a church going guy. I don't mean to offend anybody. That's if you, you go you to won't. church, don't that's worry. your thing. But yeah, I, I remember my aunt had just passed away not long before that. And I remember thinking, gee, she must've had like, she was there. there, there somebody had been looking out for me. Like I, <laughs> it, it was, it was kind of the perfect storm. Like we were, we were working on a line that that fed a lot of people. So there was a lot of amperage on the line. And that's what, that's what kills you is the amps, not the volts. So a lot of people say, Oh, 14,000 volts. Like that's crazy. So that was my, that was going to be my next question was, yeah. Uh, and I heard you say, so 14,000 volts traveled through your body. Yeah. And that has realistically has zero to do with the impact the impact of of the electrical shock it's all the amperage so i think it's 
and I, and I should know this because I, I was just at school, but it's like 0. .02 amps is enough to stop <laughs> your heart and kill you. Fuck. And there was most definitely, like I talked to a couple of guys up there who worked the area, and there was, there was a lot more than well, point, and point zero two amps on the line. So well, it was summertime. People are running their AC units. Like there was, there oh, was yeah. some power going through the system. So like I said, I. So like if this back to the whole um, the sweat thing, like if this had been April in Thunder Bay and it's zero degrees out, you're not sweating. You're dead. I I would think that's a fair assumption. That's like I would that, think that's a fair assumption. Genuinely. It's like, you know, and it it's it's like when people who are in car accidents or whatever, right? They go through a green light and they get in an accident. If that if that light had it turned red, they might not have been in the accident. Like if it was three degrees cooler, you might not have been sweating. Yeah. If it had been ten o'clock in the morning as opposed to two in the afternoon, you might like it's it's wild to me how that fucking shit works in life. That that's wild. Um, the the girlfriend was saying that. Uh, lot, well, obviously, I was preparing for my speech last night because when else are you going to prepare other than <laughs> other than the night before? Absolutely. And yeah. She uh, she made that comment. And she's not religious either, but that's what she said. Sometimes it makes you wonder if there is like a a plan or whatever. Like, yeah, it's I don't I, yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't know how to describe it. Like, I, I don't know how to explain why I survived other than I guess I was sweating that day and I had a little bit of weight in the old boiler <laughs> and that kind of dealt with the majority of electricity. Like, I yeah, there's no other other way to explain it other than. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's wild. So let's talk about your prosthetics. So you got your prosthetics on. They're working well because you're holding a can of beer, yep. which is just perfect. So they go from uh, just above your elbow and and I mean, they are your functioning arms now. Yep. You've got two hooks. It like like they split open and closed, and they're all controlled with your shoulders. Is yeah. that that's correct? Yeah. So, so explain that to us. It's it's basically um, so the on the prosthetics. Um, I know it's hard to describe on a, on a podcast, but there's elastics on the hooks that keep them closed. So that's that's what's doing the work for me right now. Holding this can of beer, I'm not doing anything. Right. The, those black elastics are they're keeping the the tension. Um, so then I basically just kind of roll my shoulder forward, and that will open the, oh, yeah. the hooks. Yep. So that just strictly does the uh, the open and closing of the hooks, and then I can I kind of drop my shoulder. And that will unlock the elbow, and then I go back to that same original shoulder movement to to put the the elbow in whatever position I need. Right. Do the shoulder flex to lock it in, and then once it's locked, I do that same motion, and it's a uh, open yeah. and close of the hook. Yeah, it's super it's, super simple. Like they, it's super simple. But like looking at it, you'd be like, how like. That's so complicated, but it's not. It's very, very simple. And it's it's harder to tell when I have the shirt over top, yeah. so you can't see all like where the cable goes up to the side and all the actual workings. I mean, if I had your apparatus, I wouldn't be fucking wearing sleeves. I'd be just rocking sleeveless all the time. <laughs> and for the most part, that's usually how it goes. Just throw yeah. one t-shirt on and the prosthetics over top, and especially in the summertime, um, like with the skin graphing, the skin graft does it won't sweat. So right. I, oh, yeah. I get extra hot in the summertime. Yeah. So yeah, I can usually imagine. in the summertime, throw a t-shirt on. I don't, I don't give a sweet fuck what I look like. We're <laughs> just letting her fly. So you've got the, you got the, the prosthetics in with the hooks, but you got a set of like 
fucking going out hands too. They are, yeah. I guess you could call them, uh, yeah. Either my go, my going to town arms, or maybe my church arms. Even though I don't go to church, but uh, yeah, they're a brand new technology uh, that I was fortunate to kind of slide into uh, because the accident happened with Hydro One. I have their financial backing and WSIB. So everything, all the prosthetics that I use, they're all paid for. Um, so, excuse me, this newest set um, is fully electronic. So there's no cable that hooks down to the hands. There's just straps to keep them on, okay. on my body. Um, but inside the socket, there are eight sets of sensors. So I spent a ton of time in rehab learning how to uh, separate my bicep from my tricep muscle. So oh, those wow. are the only two muscles that I use. So um, I, if I flex my bicep hard, that will lift the elbow up or bring, bring oh, okay. the, the forearm yep. up. But if I flex it gently, that will close the hand. Oh wow! And then yeah. vice versa, if I flex my tricep hard, that brings the forearm down. And then if I flex it gently, that will open the hand. And then I do like this weird kind of arm twist thing inside the socket. And that makes the wrist rotate one way and it makes it rotate the other way. Um, but they're, they're brand new technology. I think I'm the only person in Canada with oh, right on. that style. Like yep. they're, they're brand, brand new. We had to get uh, an approval from Health Canada to get them brought over okay. uh, to, to be able to start using them. Um, but they're they're kind of in the still in the beginning stages um like if you have them out in the summertime and it's too humid they'll probably fry they're, yeah. they're pretty sensitive yeah. so they're just strictly a, an interior kind of thing or like a, like you said a, a going out prosthetic sort of thing but hopefully within the future that that will become the future of prosthetics and they're they're so much more intuitive they were so easy to like once i kind of learned the basics they were really easy to start using they were a lot more comfortable, a lot less pulling, a lot, f a lot fewer cables across your back, and you're also using you're using your muscles that you would normally use to do that kind of work. You're not using your back muscles to move the prosthetics. You're using what's left in your arms, so it's just a lot more comfortable. Um, but they're just not to the point where they're uh, they're strong enough to handle the kind of shit that I like to do. Right, right. So which, so. Long story short, I mean, you prefer what you're wearing now as opposed to your going out hands. Yeah, big time. I, I, they, at, uh, at Skill, they call it the Sunnybrook Center for Independent Living. That's where I get my prosthetics worked on in Toronto. And, yeah, I'm, I'm considered a heavy user and probably and then some they for the most part i think i don't know what the number is but like 80 some odd percent of amputees in canada are all diabetic related and they're all lower body amputees so they've lost a leg Legs, or a foot feet, or toes, whatever exactly yeah. so and that's for the most part that's what prosthetics fo focus on there's not a whole there's not very many people in my situation especially my situation um losing both arms above the elbow there's lots of people you see who maybe have just lost one side or they at least maybe have an elbow or and that's that's one thing i never thought i'd be like oh i wish i had just maybe one elbow because that would make life a little easier yeah for sure so so much like you know when you were laying in the hospital bed and you were supposed to die 
and you just basically said, fuck it, even though you didn't know you were supposed to die. Um, you went through your recovery. You went through your, and, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on that, uh, no disrespect, but you, you got out of um, physiotherapy. You got out of the hospital, and you essentially said, like, fuck this. I'm going back to work. Now, you didn't start back with hydro right away, and we don't need to get into that either. Um, but you, you ended up here at Amazing Acres working on the farm, and they basically just, for lack of a better term, they put you in a tractor and said, figure it out. Basically, basically, yeah. And that's, in all honesty, that's, that's been the key to my success. That was kind of my, uh, my motto. Even when I first came home, I spent, I think I spent four or five months doing like the outpatient thing in, in Toronto. So staying in a hotel every night, I think we were doing, we we're Monday to Thursday at that point. And so I go to the rehab center all day and it's, you're working around other people who are also going through rehab. So it's not a terribly positive place. Um, the guy that I worked with, um terrence yen was his name he was a fucking beauty like i <laughs> one time i'm in so like one part of the rehab was working on my skin graphing so it needs to be massaged and like work the uh the scar tissue underneath and stuff like that so it doesn't cause you problems down the road and i remember him like it it was uncomfortable enough and he's kind of working away doing the massage thing and he i remember him saying oh you always want it medium rare, Eli. You never want a well-done steak. And he was talking about my side. You want it to be nice and red when you're working it. And and then all of a sudden, he would just randomly start clucking like a chicken. And like it's not it's not like we're the only two guys there. Yes, we're we're I'm laying in a bed and there's a curtain around us, but there's yeah. 25, 30 other people in this facility. And he starts going. Bark, 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 bark. And so I start carrying on with them and yeah. just little things like that. that just really having fun with it. What else do you, what do you, what else are you supposed to do though? And that's, that's been my biggest thing. A lot of people say, how are you the way you are? And I guess the simple answer is I like having fun. And just, be, just because I lost my arms doesn't mean I'm going to quit having fun. hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so yeah, so you, you, you came back to amazing acres here and I mean, you've figured out how to drive the tractors again and, uh, like, yeah, you're working here and you are back with hydro with, um, hydro one, I guess it is right. Yep. You're back with hydro one now. Um, and what is it you're doing with them again? You did go over it and uh, I kind yeah. of forget the term for it. No, I, I started out, uh, reading meters initially for the first little bit, just to kind of get used to coming back. And then, uh, They've put me in design services now. So it's basically doing all the, the layouts and the pre-work before the guys come in and do the actual building um, of the line. So you're, you go out and you kind of take your measurements of the job, figure out what they need for wire size, poles, this, that, and the other. And then you go to the computer, do your drawings, get your easements, whatever, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then send your work out for, for the guys to go build. Right on. That's awesome. So we're going to, we're going to start to wrap this up, but I got a couple questions for you. Um, I have a buddy out in Alberta that liked to fuck around with pipe bombs. And one day he blew his fucking hand off. Now it's just, it's just below the wrist. So literally just his hand, but, um, now he could hide it a little bit better, but we'd be out at the bar or something and he had a hook Yep. and you know, <clears throat> we'd be standing there and he'd have his arms crossed and he'd be hiding his hook and he'd be talking to some guy who didn't know him and all yep. of a sudden he'd just pull his hook out and like scratch his head or something 
Now I said yours are a little bit harder to hide, but do you ever just fuck with people like with your with your hooks? <laughs> well, like, like I'd I'd be trying to figure out a way to fuck with people all the time. I mean, uh, as far as like as something like that, I guess the only thing I can ever think of um, first or second Halloween post accident, um, I went as Captain Hook. <laughs> and you I remember, to. and I remember a couple of people coming up to me and chatting away, and then, be, and then all of a sudden they like they started looking at me. And they're like, "Oh shit!" Like, it's not just your hands that are missing. Like, it goes all the way up, <laughs> sort of thing. And they, yeah, you, you don't, uh, you don't notice it. But other than that, um, as far as fucking with people, I just prefer. Uh, well, one of the everybody around here loves the loves the story. So uh, I came back to Amazing Acres. Um, just to kind of prove to myself that I could still work a 40 hour week. And one of the first things they did was changed all the door knobs to handles. And so Borden, he comes in through the back way and he's just, Oh, why do, why do, why do we change all the knobs to handles? Like that's stupid. And I just looked at him. I was like, well, sorry, Bordy, not everybody has fucking hands. I also heard a story that before they did this, that uh, the electrical shack or something you got yep. left left in there because they still had the knobs on. You were in there with another worker. They left and you like physically couldn't grab the doorknobs yeah, to fucking and get out. We, you were locked in there for like an hour and a half. We had gone we had gone in there to because that's where like the dryer control panel was. So I don't know something was going on with the corn dryer. So we were going in there. I reset a breaker or something, and we both went in there. <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't really paying attention and. Whoever was in there with me just kind of fucked off. And then all of a sudden I got looking around. I was like, holy fuck. Like, okay, I'll be all right. Go try and open the door and just slip, 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 slip. Like, fuck me. And I remember if I had my phone or I texted somebody or what it was. So finally, somebody came in and, and rescued me, so to speak. But, yeah, there was uh, – and I, I think that is the only one that still remains a knob, which I, I don't really mind. I probably don't need to be in the electrical shaft. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Now, the next one I have for you, and <clears throat> so I have a neighbor, actually, who lost both his arms in a farming accident, and this was actually when it, while I was living out in Alberta. When I moved home, I was driving by his place in the tractor, and he was out front, and he didn't even have his prosthetics on, but, you know, you see somebody you know, the immediate thought is to wave. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I just waved at a guy with no arms. And I was so I was so upset with myself. Yeah. Even, like, it, I shouldn't have been, but I was. And I was like, did I offend him because I waved at him? Like, has anybody, has anybody done or said anything to you that because of your prosthetics or lack of arm, I don't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, yeah. but yeah. has anybody offended you? with with your condition i'm gonna call it a condition it's not but you know what i mean yeah yeah no not even not even remotely um if anything at least around that subject anyway for the most part everybody kind of somewhat tippy toes around it and it's usually me or my girlfriend like making it making the jokes um about about not having hands or whatever uh we were at a couple years ago we were at a uh uh a wake for a, a friend of mine's dad who had passed away and um, one of the guys in the line looks back and says, oh, does anyone want any hand sanitizer? And I said, yeah, fucking right. Hey, <laughs> give, give me some of that, bud. And he turns around and then he was about to pump the handle and then looks at me like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's that's good though. Props, props to you. And, but that, I mean, I just, I just met you today, but that 
probably goes just to your character too. Like you don't seem to be a guy that I wouldn't say you don't give a fuck about anything, but there's bigger problems in the world. There's people that are a lot worse off than you are yep. and you recognize that and you're yep. just like, yeah, fuck, I lost my arms. I'm not dead. I can, there's, you know, party on basically. Yep. I, I do my very best to show up in the morning with 12 fucks in my lunch pail and I like to leave with 12 fucks in my lunch pail. Perfect. That's a that's a great. I've never heard that. I'm going to steal that actually. So, well, listen, Eli, this this was awesome to sit down. Um, like I said, I had the pleasure of listening to you speak this morning. It was your first ever public speaking engagement. You yes, did a sir. fucking awesome job. Um, you're going to be pretty famous now because you've been on my podcast. But uh, thank you very much for sitting down with me and taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, I want to come back and just fucking smash some beers with you someday. You bet. But uh, thanks, thanks so much and. And I want to say, like, props to you for just not rolling over and, and giving up. You've you've forged ahead, and uh, best best of luck to you. Thank thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. You bet. Take care. So yeah, so that listen, folks, that was Eli Crothers, and listen, that was uh, that was really cool to sit down with Eli and talk about his story. He um, he was one of my favorite guests for sure, and the biggest thing I like about Eli, aside from uh, you know, the respect I have from, for what he's gone on and what he's doing now, you know, running, ru- driving, operating farm equipment, you know, he, st- he still helps Peter and Donna out around the farm and stuff, but that was the first time I'd ever met Eli. Uh, we chatted for a bit at the start of the day and then, you know, we sat down, we did the interview at, uh, privately, just the two of us, but you know, I'd, I'd never met him before. And by the time I was done interviewing Eli, I felt like I'd known him for 20 years, felt like I grew up with him. Just, just a really cool down to earth guy with a pretty interesting perspective on life. Um, and especially with all the stuff he's been through and then uh, small world, of course, it turns out, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends out there in the, in the Campbellford, Hastings, uh, whatever, Warkworth area. So so no, that was really cool, and uh, I, again, I want to thank Eli for taking the time, and that though, that was the first day too that, even aside from the podcast, that was the first day that he'd even done any public speaking in front in front of a crowd too, and uh, I thought he knocked it out of the park. He had everybody's attention. He he told his story. He got some laughs. It it was a good time. So uh, Eli, if you're out there listening, thanks again. That that was awesome. You're one of my favorite guests so far, and I'm quite certain my listeners enjoyed as well. So. Thanks again. Uh, moving on, I said I, I had a little bit of, a, I don't know, a little bit of a vent session here. I want to get off my chest or what you want to call it. But actually, before I do that, I want to apologize. Um, the The audio for that live and for the uh, the interview with Eli was a little shoddy. Um, you know, a little, little bit rough compared to what you guys are used to. Again, I want to just apologize for that. Again, that was my first live on location that I've ever done. So I got some work to do there, but uh, hopefully it wasn't bad enough that you've tuned out. But back to my vent session. So uh, my brother and I, we tried to, we tried to, uh, we're trying to add some diversification to our farming operation. We went out and we bought uh, a truck and a set of B trains, grain trains, super Bs, whatever you want to call them. And uh, like I said, it's we're trying to diversify our operation. We're just trying to generate some more cash flow, so on and so forth. But it's amazing the things people say or do or, or say about you or whatever, or the questions they come and ask you when you have a new piece of equipment sitting in the yard. And I suppose this, this would go, you know, if you're someone from the town, 
if you're someone that lives in town too, whether, you know, maybe you went out and bought a, a new ride around lawnmower or a new car or you put a new deck on your house or something. But so it came out to the general public that we had made this purchase and, and that's fine. You know, there's, there's been a lot of supportive people out there. A lot of people I've talked to and a lot of support, but then you get the, and it never fucking fails. You always get these fucking donkeys that are like, Oh fuck must be nice. Oh, where'd you get the money? Oh fuck. How, how are you going to fucking pay for that? Blah, blah, blah. Like there's no fucking money in trucking. You guys are just going to fall flat on your face. Well, I, this is the shit I'm going to vent about a little bit because it fucking pisses me off. You know, the, the agriculture industry, I find, especially around here, it's very cutthroat. It's very, there's not enough people that want to see their peers succeed. I, I it's, it's of my opinion and my opinion only that in the fucking ag world, you know, you're... It, you should, it shouldn't be as competitive as it is. Everybody's got to make money. Everybody's got bills to pay. I get it. But it's it can be, and it's getting very cutthroat. And I don't think it's the right industry for that type of a mentality. Um, back to Peter Archer. That This is one of, the, one of the things I like about Peter, and I hate to pump this fucking guy's tires so much, but um, I wouldn't call Peter an old farmer. He's older than I am. He's got more experience than I do. But it's my, it's my again, it's of my opinion... Peter and Donna, they generally want to see people in agriculture succeed. And, you know, Peter will take the time and he'll listen to a young farmer. I still consider myself a young farmer. He'll take the time and he'll listen to young farmers, you know, whether they have questions, concerns, whatever, and he'll give them advice. He'll listen to them and he'll give them advice instead of just talking down to them. Well, what do you mean you don't fucking know that? You've been, you know, you're fucking 38 years old. You've been farming this long. You haven't figured it. No, he doesn't. The, the, he doesn't come across like that. He talks to you like a human being. But anyways, these people that, you know, well, oh, fuck, it must be nice to have that kind of money. Well, who says I do have the money? Who who says I had the money to just go and stroke a check for this new fucking equipment? Maybe that's really none of anybody's business. But but guess what? I, I stuck my neck out. My brother and I, we stuck our necks out to make a purchase to add some diversification to our farm. It's up to us to pay that money back. It's not up to you, the the person asking the question. It's not up to you. Make it pay. So why the fuck do you care? It's actually, to be perfectly honest, it's none of your fucking business. I apologize that my brother and I had the balls to stick our necks out, borrow some money, and just, you know, try to get ahead. One of the reasons we went out and we, we made this purchase, you know, was... We've been very hesitant to take risks in our in our farming careers and we've stood around and we've watched a lot of other people take risks and it's worked out for them. We've also seen people take risks and they've fallen flat on their faces and that's fine. That's fine. We might fall flat on our faces too, but guess what? That's on us. It's not on anybody else. It's on us. But at least if we crash and burn at this, we can say at least we fucking went and tried. Okay. Because I don't want to be sitting here five, seven, ten years later and see for some reason maybe the trucking world is on fire and guys are getting guys are getting rich by driving truck. And I don't want to be sitting there saying, fuck, should have bought that truck and trailer five years ago. Like But to these guys that are like, Oh fuck, it must be nice. Well, guess what? You haven't seen that the the hours I've put in, the the money the money we've we've put away to save up and buy this, the hours, the the research, the 
everything that goes into it. Don't just sit there and tell me it must be fucking nice. I've I've put a lot of sweat and a lot of hours into getting ourselves into a position to make this purchase. So fuck you on that too. It it is nice. It it is kind of nice to get in a truck and drive all day and really not you know, it's not hard work. But I, I've you've heard me say it before. Trucking is honest work. That's for sure. Don't sit there and tell me it must be nice because. You know, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time is, is purchase a truck and trailer. And we went out and we did it. And again, it's on us. It's on us to pay for it. No, it's, yeah, it, it is nice. I just <laughs> fucking got done saying that. But you also haven't seen the work I've put in behind it, you know. And, and I'm not looking for sympathy because because I work so much. Um, I picked this profession. I could have went and done anything I really wanted to, to be honest, but. I chose farming because I, I generally do enjoy it, but it's it's long hours. It's tough work. It's a grind. And, you know, I've had to endure a lot of stuff to put myself and my brother as well to put ourselves in a position to be able to, to afford this. So um, to those people that say it must be nice, yeah, it is kind of nice. You know, it's nice to see that all that hard work I've put in and, you know, the missed birthdays, the missed weddings, the missed parties, whatever it is, um, it's nice to see that missing those was was in a in a roundabout way worth it. And you know, again to those people, oh fuck must be nice to have the money. Well, I already said we didn't, but even if I did have the money, who gives a shit? It's my money. I'll fucking do what I like with it. All right? It's it's nobody's business where other people get their money from. It really isn't. Who's to say that when I was working out in Alberta, who's to say I didn't make sound investments? Who's to say I didn't get a, a check stroked for for leaving because they wanted to get rid of me so bad that they paid me to leave. That's not true, but who's to say I didn't have a family member or somebody, who's to say I didn't have a large inheritance? Well, guess what? If it's my money, I'm free to fucking spend it however I want. And again, it's none of your fucking business how I got the money. I think people just need to keep their noses out of other people's business, okay? Um and be more supportive of each other, whether it's the ag industry, law enforcement, fucking banking, whatever, landscaping. People need to be more supportive of one another and mind their own fucking business. Um, I'm looking forward to this gig, this new this new trucking gig. As I said, I really enjoy driving truck. Having said that, I don't drive truck for a living. I drive truck three to four days a week, and that's it. But I really enjoy it. Um, I don't I I don't know what it is. Um, I wouldn't call myself lazy because I drive truck sitting in traffic, fighting traffic, fighting weather conditions, whatever it is, dealing with dildos that don't know how to drive around a transport truck or are unaware of their surroundings and what's going on behind them. That is a constant, um, battle every day is, is what I'm finding out. And I knew a little bit about that before too like it's but it is more stressful on the mind than you think because it's not me and my op and my uh vehicle I don't trust it's the drivers around me that I don't necessarily trust and all I can say to that too is if 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 you're an everyday driver whether it's you drive a pickup truck an SUV a car and you come up on tractor trailers man just give them their time and space please if like just we can't stop on a dime. You've heard this all before. We can't stop on a dime. We need to take wide turns. It takes us a little longer to get going from a red light. Just be patient. Just give your time and space, all right? And give the truckers some respect out there, okay? 
But um, back back to what I was getting at earlier is, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this new venture. Um, hopefully, we can make a go of it. We'll see. Uh, at, at the end of the day, it's on my brother and I to make it work. It, it's all going to depend on how many hours I can I can drive and uh, how safely I can do it, how efficiently I can do it, and how carefully I can do it. You know, I don't want to burn out my equipment. I don't want to, you know, be burning through tires and brakes and things like that. It's it's all up to me at the end of the day. It's not up to anybody else. It's up to me. It's up to my brother to make this work. And for those of you that want to be negative towards me about it, fuck you. Like, it's, it's none of your business. If you can't be supportive, if you don't think I can make it work, that's fine. I don't need to fucking hear about it. All right? So that's that. Anyways, yeah, a little, like I said, a little bit of a vent session there. But uh, finally... To top off the Cox Talks podcast this week's episode, big news, new swag. Yes, we got some new swag. So we got some Cox Talks hats in. Um, If you follow along on Instagram, you can see the hat on uh, the Instagram page, the Cox Talks podcast Instagram page. They are available. They are freshly available. They are limited supply. Uh, they're $30 a hat. So if you're interested in some Cox Talk swag, get a hold of me uh, and let me know. I know I have had some feedback on asking $30 for these hats, but I'll tell you what, they weren't fucking cheap to have made. And the shipping is free. And what I'm finding out is um, the shipping in some cases has actually cost more than the hats. So if you think I'm making money off these hats, you are sadly sadly mistaken i just want to get the brand out there i want to get some people a chance to wear some cox talks gear and you know get like i said get the brand out there and get people wearing some some cool looking hats they're they're very nice hats they are extremely comfortable i think you're gonna like them and if you don't have the social media if you don't have um instagram or whatever let me know and i can get you a picture of these hats before you decide so i mean 30 bucks you take the family out to arby's get a couple fucking beef and cheddar sandwiches it's gonna cost you 30 bucks and you guys are all gonna be hitting the toilet 45 to an hour and a half later 45 minutes to an hour and a half later and it's gonna run right through you like hot water and your 30 your 30 bucks is gonna go right down the drain these hats are gonna last you a lifetime they're they're made in canada as well so that's a big plus there. These hats are made in Canada. And uh, yeah, they're cool. They're sleek. They're very, very comfortable. I can't say enough good about them. I want to thank Triple Triple P uh, Promotions for getting these uh, getting these hats for me, getting lined up. Uh, get a hold of Kira Phoenix. You can find them um, on Instagram at Triple P Promo. Get a hold of, uh, of Kira. She does great work. She was easy to work with, easy to get along with, uh, very reasonable costs. Um, you know, they provide, uh, she provides high quality customized products, marketing gifts and company apparel and awards. And you can check them out at www.triplep.ca. So once again, listen, if you're looking for some swag, some apparel, some gifts, whatever, check them out at triplep.ca and, uh, Kira, Kira can get you, get you set up for free. So, or fuck. Yeah. Not for free. Sorry, Kira, but she can get you set up with your business, your apparel, whatever you're looking for. So, so thanks again for that. So listen, that is, that's the episode. Uh, that is the Cox Talks episode, episode 22. It's been a blast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a blast doing it. Uh, again, thanks to Peter and Donna Archer. Thank you to Eli Crothers for all coming on the show and having me a part of your day there. 
Uh, it was a blast. I'd love to do it again sometime. And uh, don't forget, listeners, tell your fucking friends. Tell your fucking friends about the Cox Talks podcast. Thanks for listening. Soundstripe.